welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast series covers HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things Ace Foff, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manissimo Art. Thanks for joining us for our sixth episode, which will cover episode six of House of the Dragon, The Princess and the Queen. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the episode we're covering. But less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood only through the episode we're covering, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon. We will start with an episode summary and then cover what we think are the main hot takes from the episode and conclude with an episode-specific favorites roundup. We also have a rating system that we will, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please. And that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Last but not least, each week we're joined by a special guest. This week it's Amanda, a fellow Ace Hoff and Game of Thrones fan who hasn't read all of Fire and Blood, but has read the story of the Princess and the Queen, which is kind of all that matters for this episode, am I right? Amanda, where can everyone find you on social media? So I am Mystica on Instagram. I have a bookstagram branching out in Jack's, and then I'm on Twitter as Caprica. Super excited to have you join us. Now, just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget the Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon. With 10 tiers mm-hmm. ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to these Hot D Takes podcast episodes. You can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for the long and the short of it, our weekly episode summary. It's been 10 whole years since Rhaenyra and Lenor's shotgun wedding last week, and the mid-season point actually brings us right back to the beginning of it all. In one way, at least, as the princess and the queen kicks off with Rhaenyra giving birth. Thankfully, this birth scene ends much happier than the one in the season premiere, thank God, with Rhaenyra giving birth to a healthy baby boy. Not that she has time to rejoice and rest, because Alicent demands to see the child immediately, a request that Rhaenyra obliges herself pausing only to deliver the afterbirth and put on a gown before trudging across the Red Keep with her newborn babe. Thankfully, Lenor is there to help her along the way, though he is vocal about how absurd the whole thing is, particularly when Rhaenyra has to pause to breathe through her pain. They eventually make it to Alicent's quarters where Kristen, you know, our very own Sir Cole of House Law, is guarding the door. And once inside, Rhaenyra is granted a seat for the resting Alicent insists she should be doing. The snide marks and looks that pass between these two throughout this and future scenes in this episode do everything to convince anyone who hears and sees them that things between the princess and the queen have deteriorated past repair. It was like watching two southern women bless your hearting each other every time they're forced to be in the same room. Granted, Alicent's snarky comments aren't for Renera alone, after Viserys coos over his new grandson and Lenor announces that the boy will be named Joffrey, they are finally given permission to leave. 
but not before Allison whispers to Lenor, do keep trying. Sooner or later, you might get one that looks like you. Because, oh yeah, the baby has brown hair and two older brothers who also have brown hair. Well, Vernira isn't too happy with Lenor over his announcing the baby's name without, you know, talking to her about it first. Once back in their own chambers, things seem a little happier. The older boys have brought a dragon's egg for their new sibling, and Lenor herds them off to visit the dragon pit while Sir Harwin Strong, commander of the City Watch and obviously Rhaenyra's paramour, gets to hold his new son. Because even though we never see Rhaenyra and Harwin truly alone together or in any sort of embrace, they are definitely a thing. And everyone seems to know it. Although Viserys, if he does suspect, wants nothing to do with a scenario like this or the discussion surrounding it and pretty much tells Alicent, who literally won't shut up about it, to shut up. This, of course, leads to Alicent venting to the one person she knows will listen and agree. And we'll give you three guesses as to who that is, but of course it's Kristen, a.k.a. Sir Cole of House Slaw. Because if he couldn't have Rhaenyra, obviously that means she's just the worst, right? Now, despite their mother's obvious enmity, at first it seems as if their sons get along okay. Or at least Allison's oldest, Aegon, is comfortable enough with Rhaenyra's sons, Jace and Luke, for the three of them to play a prank on Aegon's younger brother, Aemond, who doesn't yet have a dragon of his own. They gift him with the pink dread, a pig wearing a makeshift dragon costume, and Aemond is none too happy and runs to complain to his mother who steps away from creepy crawler's time with her daughter Helena to run off and confirm that of course it was Jason Luke who put Aegon up to the prank, right? Now, in terms of disturbing things that happened in this episode, the scene where Aegon is, well, standing in his window, which is God knows how many stories up and of course wide open and jerking off is bad enough. But then Allison catches him in the act and proceeds to guide him into admitting that why, of course, he was just going along with Jason Luke's prank before she shakes him and yells some quote-unquote sense into him regarding being nicer to his annoying little brother and how he, meaning Aegon, is the actual successor to the throne, no matter what Rhaenyra believes. Seriously, someone in that scene needs to take a chill pill and that person's name begins with A and ends with listen. On top of that, the next time the kiddos get together, it seems as if a shift has already taken place. Sir Cole of House Slaw is supposed to be training all of them together, but he clearly favors Allison's son and helps Egg, Aegon, and Jace into a fight. Jace holds his own for a bit, but Aegon is older and larger and has obviously benefited more from Kristen's training. Eventually, Harwin steps in to break things up, leading to taunts from Kristen regarding Rhaenyra's son's parentage, and a real big boy fight ensues, with Harwin quickly gaining the upper hand and having to be pulled away. When Rhaenyra hears about the scuffle, she runs off to check on Harwin, only to overhear his father Lionel, who also happens to be the Hand of the King, berating Harwin for his affair with her. She returns to her chambers, and very soon, Laenor stumbles in drunk with his newest friend who is a boy, and begins talking about how he wants to run off to Essos and fight in some war or another. Rhaenyra chastises him for even thinking about leaving so soon after their son was born, and demands that he stays in King's Landing. Though she soon sort of changes her tune after a tense small council meeting in which she proposes that they settle the strife between her family and that of her father and Alicent 
by betrothing Jace to Helena. That discussion is cut short, however, when Rhaenyra's breasts begin leaking. And although Viserys is totally into marrying his daughter to his grandson, Alicent basically tells him, over my dead body, which is pretty brazen of her. But this conversation is also cut short this time by Lionel Strong arriving to give his resignation as a Hand of the King in the wake of, of Harwin disgracing their family name by laying hands on Aegon and then beating up a member of the King's Guard. Viserys refuses to let him resign, but allows that he might take Harwin back to their seat at Harrenhal. Also, Rhaenyra loses her lover. Her sons lose the one of the two father figures who is actually their father, and she decides she's had enough and they should all go hang out on Dragonstone for a while. She even lets Lenor bring a plus one. But hey, what has our badass whole Prince Damon been getting up to in the past decade? Well, turns out he married Lena, which, after all, that Allison stuff is somehow one of the less disturbing things in this episode. They've been traveling around some and have ended up in Pentos, where they show off their dragons. The windy boy and none other than Vagar and their twin daughters and are offered a place in Pentos in exchange for them and their dragons, of course, aiding Pentos in case there's a war. Damon is considering the alliance, but Lena says no way because she wants to go home to Westeros. Unfortunately, she never gets the chance because she is actually pregnant again. And unlike Rhaenyra, her situation goes the way of Queen Emma in episode one. Damon is given the option of having the baby cut out of her, an idea he actually doesn't seem too fond of. Lena is having none of any of that. Anyway, she wants to die a dragon rider's death, and so she does, by stumbling outside to offer herself to Vagar, screaming Dracarys at her dragon until Vagar obliges and burns her alive. And speaking of burning people alive, it turns out that a conversation between Alicent and Larry Strong led to him thinking, hey, if I murder my father, the hand of the king, position will be open for good old Otto again. And good riddance to my bro in the process, because then Harrenhal will be mine. So he digs some prisoners out of a dungeon, cuts out their tongues so that they can't talk about what they're about to do. And the next thing we know, there's a big old bonfire at Harnell that leaves quite a few people dead, including, of course, Lionel and Harwin. Allison is horrified when she hears about what happened, but Larys doesn't feel bad at all because, obviously, deep down, this is what she wanted him to do. And she'll reward him when the time is right. Won't she? Won't she? All right. So, hot take number one. Birthing babies, birthing, birthing babies. Oh, man. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least we get one childbirth scene that ends well in this show. Minus Allison being a huge biatch and demanding to see the baby immediately. Kudos to Renera. I don't even know if that's the proper way to put that, but just... Kudos, props, everything to Rhaenyra for trekking across the Red Keep immediately after childbirth. And kudos to the showrunners for showing how absolutely difficult and disgusting her doing that would actually be. Mm -hmm. Watching this, and especially, the funny thing is, I'm watching it with my partner who has seen a person giving birth, his his ex-wife, and... As soon as Rhaenyra stands up, he's, you know, saying she's going to go with the baby. He's like, what about the afterbirth? And then immediately, 
There's mm-hmm. the afterbirth. I mean, maybe not immediately, but very soon. And, you know, then she's like trudging across the red keep and just, ugh, ugh, ugh. I've never had a baby. So all I can think of is like the worst period cramps of your life, but also you're exhausted and your whole body must be just generally in pain and disgusting from having pushed an entire person out of your vagina. So honestly, 10 out of 10 targ eyebrows to Rhaenyra for everything that happened at the beginning of this episode, because she was a goddamn champ. And I bow to her for that very reason. Zero out of 10 targ eyebrows to Allison for even asking that the baby be brought to her immediately. I'm, and also, why did they feel they needed to oblige this? Uh, I think, like, talking about the deterioration of their relationship, that really, like, that's so such a vindictive thing to do when you've already given birth to how many kids? So you know how it is, and you're still making that request? And like you said, they completely, like, I don't know if they've ever had a child, but if they did, I would think that they acted that perfectly. No, they do not have children. So, like, honestly, I would say this scene alone could qualify them for an Emmy. Yeah, as somebody who has been on the other end of someone having children, I thought it was very accurate. And yes, as soon as she got up and was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go walk over there. I was like the same thing. I was like, no, I said you will in a minute, but not not right this second. But yeah. And I thought that the person playing the part was really convincing, like really. I mean, it did a great job. You know, great job. And then Rhaenyra getting up to go walk all the way over there. Like, that's just classic Rhaenyra and in my brain. So I'm like, yeah, of course she is. You know, like, of course. So, yeah, that scene was uh, was good. It, it did raise, like, some eyebrows. How the queen was like, oh, I want to see the baby right now. I'm just like, uh, why? So you can kill it? <laughs> I was like, what, what are you doing? Like, why all of a sudden? You know, like, oh, I have to see the, you know, the child right now. Well, and I think, obviously, as you get into the episode, you realized very quickly why she wanted to see the baby immediately, mm-hmm. correct? Like, well, mm-hmm. and, and I know, Amanda, you haven't read all of Fire and Blood, but you've read The Princess and the Queen, so mm-hmm. you know that Rhaenyra's children were not Laenor's. Obviously, in the books, the Valarians are also valerian the valerians are valerian so they're pale skin white hair but in the show it it actually was kind of a little bit weird to me that they focus so much on the brown hair because mm-hmm. i feel like especially later and i don't want to get into this too much but especially later when you see what's going on with damon and lena and they have kids and their kids look more like lena than they do like damon although when viserys is like oh he has his father's nose and Rhaenyra and Lena are both like Aah. they're both they're cool about this whole thing right they're both cool about this whole thing but like, I almost wanted like a Eddard Stark like Joffrey Baratheon blonde of hair Robert Baratheon black of hair like yep. Yep. <laughs> they focus so much on the hair when I'm sitting over here just like why does baby pure white Yeah. if you've read Fire and Blood or The Princess and the Queen alone the fact that Rhaenyra had three children, three sons who had brown hair was always a big deal. And Dean actually asked the question, so is the 
is the white hair, the silver hair passed down through the male line? Well, no, because Rhaegar and Lyanna had John. So it's whoever's genes are stronger, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because Rhaegar also mm -hmm. was married to Elia of Dorne, who had dark hair and darker skin, and their kids still had the silver hair. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's very interesting... Uh, my friend Nami is a geneticist and this is one of those things where we've talked about it a bunch and I would love to hear her opinions on the fact that only some very few children who are born from a Targ relationship with a non-Targ who has dark hair end up in children with not Targaryen silver hair. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, like I said, just... Kudos to the showrunners for pulling all the stops on this, right? They show that Rhaenyra is birthing the afterbirth. I don't even know what the right term is because, again, haven't had any kids, thank God. But they show that, and then even after she visits Alicent, she's walking away from the room, and Laner looks back, and she's leaving a trail of blood behind mm -hmm. her. Yep. And minus Laenor's, like, we're naming it Joffrey, thing which he didn't you know talk to her about at all obviously he was super supportive like he tried he asked the dumb was it a very painful question but other than that i mean he knows these aren't his kids by blood and he's still just like yeah let's do the thing and i'm gonna support you on this really difficult honestly kind of like almost cersei walk of shame trek across yeah. the red keep right after you've given birth like i i very proud of lanor in that moment honestly hot take number two if allison ever had any chill damn it is gone now so again she demands to see rhaenyra's new son immediately she makes snarky comments about the baby not looking like lanor she has no qualms about being super trying with Viserys. I mean, she knows he doesn't want to hear what she's saying. And she pushes and pushes and pushes him until he basically tells her to shut up. And then this is skipping ahead a bit timeline wise. But the way she talks to her son Aegon when she goes to his room, regardless of the uh, situation she catches him in. It's very good old auto. It's very like, uh, you're the successor to the throne. I don't care what Rhaenyra or any of her supporters, if they even exist, say. And then they have that small council meeting where she is countering everything Rhaenyra says. But first of all, why was she in the small council meeting? I could probably go on and on and on about this. Yeah. Yep. But again, if she had any chill, it is gone. I do feel like the 10-year time jump... While, while what we saw in episode five, where she is clearly uh, turned her colors, such as it were, green, <laughs> I do think that the 10-year time jump did a little bit of a disservice to her becoming, to her going from, okay, we're not friends anymore, to this, and a little bit abusive to her son. I don't care how she caught him. Listen, teenagers do what they do. It's a little bit weird that he was standing in a window several stories or more off the ground doing it. But 
I, and also, I don't know if either one of you are on Reddit or Twitter for the um, memes, but there were a lot of memes. Uh, there are a lot of dirty memes. Like, Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I give Allison, again, zero out of ten target eyebrows for how she treated her son. Yes, and also how, how kind of just like exhausted she seemed with her daughter in their little creepy crawlers conversation. So thoughts on Allison and her switch, I guess, from being just Allison to being, uh, I don't know if we can call her good old Allison. Like, what would you call her? Asshole Allison? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Just, yeah, just fucking asshole Allison. That's what I would call her. I'm wondering what happened, and now, given that I haven't read Fire and Blood, and maybe I'm missing things, too, I'm wondering what happened in that 10 years, where it went from, like, where they were friends, and technically, Rhaenyra didn't even lie to her. Rhaenyra was actually telling the truth. Thank you, yes. On everything, but then we've got Kristen being all dramatic and whatever anyways, but I don't understand how you go from, like, you were like this, to now you're like this. I think the one thing with you having not read Fire and Blood is that that's something the show changed. They aged Allison down and they gave them a friendship that doesn't actually exist. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's it's in The Princess and the Queen. It kind of starts at this point of of everything, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a little bit more backstory in Fire and Blood, but... They aged Allison down in the show and they gave them a relationship that doesn't actually exist in the text, which I have zero problem with because, again, I think that it makes their enmity make more sense. Mm-hmm. It makes their their absolute, like, shnah, like, I mean, honestly, like, like I wrote in the summary... It's two, it's two Southern women just being like, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, it's, there's definitely some show verse things that have changed their relationship dynamic, which is honestly good in my opinion. Um, and that's, you know, that's definitely part of how they got from point A to point B. But I still think that what happened in episode five and the 10-year time jump does a bit of a disservice to how rude they are to each other. Yes, very much so. So maybe Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's the same thing. Like, it's, I mean, I can kind of see where, where, maybe what they're trying to do or maybe just the way I'm reading it maybe I'm just reading it wrong is I just feel like Allison in the end is just really just jealous of Rhaenyra's freedom you know the fact that Rhaenyra can get married and be with someone and be like look we're just doing this for show but we're still gonna like have fun and do what the hell ever we want and then Allison was kind of dealt a bad hand to where it was like I had to marry like the king which is fine I mean at least the king is not like an asshole you know like he's he's a pretty decent human being but still, to be like young and marrying this old guy and just mass producing heirs at this point, you know? So I just feel like it's like almost kind of like a jealousy thing where she like wants that. But then from that jealousy, it just kind of like she kind of grows this like judgment over like Rainier, where she's just like, oh, you know, she's probably just looking at her like, oh, she's just a slut fucking sleeping with everybody. And, you know, and uh, so yeah. And then, you know, her walking in on this dude like masturbating that was the best deterrent to get me to never masturbate again (laughs) 
I was like, I, I was like, is is that is that what we look like? Like, oh, <laughs> well, God. hopefully you don't stand in an open window. No, like no, <laughs> never. But that's what it, that's probably good. That scene is probably going to pop into a lot of people's heads next time they get lonely, you know, and it's like, you know what? I think I'm just not going to go there anymore. Because you your know? mom might walk in. My mom might walk in, you know. <laughs> My mom would just walk in and just like proclaim Jesus or something over me. She's like, "Oh my God, you sinners!" You know, but yeah, that that was a uh, was a little uncomfortable to watch. Oh, it super was, and I think that that's something that we touched on in episode five. Actually, our guest Megan brought up was that Allison was raised in Old Town. The faith is very strong in Old Town, mm-hmm. right? So she is probably more religious quote-unquote in a way than a lot of people in westeros are and i think that's some of it i saw a meme earlier today that someone made where it was like oh allison's problem is really just jealousy it was a picture of allison and just four hideously like viserys 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 as he gets older (laughs) and grosser and then it's rhaenyra Wearing the uh, Olena, it was me, Cersei glasses, <laughs> which I know, I know there's another name for them. Whatever, I I'm always gonna think of them as the Olena, it, it was me, Cersei glasses, and it's Rhaenyra with Damon, Kristen, mm-hmm. as, as good old Sir Cole of House Law, and Sir Harwin Strong, also sexy, and mm-hmm. then even Lenor, even her husband, super attractive. Yeah, like even yeah. even if he's not. Even if they're not doing the thing, which nobody knows they aren't, but I mean, they aren't um, like attractive, 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 attractive. And poor Allison married the old guy and he got progressively more disgusting, like not just mm-hmm. older, not just older. He looks like Gollum. He yeah. looks like the Crypt Keeper. I mean, there are a million different <laughs> comparisons you could make, but he don't look good. No, he doesn't. Look, he's just rotting little by little. He's the bananas that you left out on the table for a week. You know, oh god, <laughs> like you meant to make banana bread. <laughs> yeah, you, you always buy the bananas to make the banana bread, but it never happens. It just you have to mm-hmm. put it here so it rots, and then I'll throw it away. You know, and buy them again next week. I was thinking about the jealousy factor because like in the same thing, I was like, man, like she she's people think she slept with Damon, which is like a Targaryen thing anyways, but he but Matt Smith is gorgeous. And then like everybody else that got listed out and even maybe so like Allison never got to have that like, let me go out to the brothels and have some fun or go out and even for an evening. She was from whenever moment Otto was like, hey, guess what? She's remained like staunchly faithful, which I think you're right on the old town thing. So, yeah. yeah. Is that jealousy? Yeah. She just, you know, she, she gets to see what freedom looks like, like from a distance, you know, and I think it, it just drives her crazy. Hot take number three. Here be dragons. Everywhere. Seriously. Seriously. There were a lot of different dragons in this episode. So we got Vermax, a juvenile dragon. And you guys, I loved his little touchdown dance after he burned that sheep. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but for whatever reason, Jace tells him Dracarys and he burns the sheep. And then he's like, upon his little <laughs> wing tips. And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, I love it. I love it so much. It was so cute. It was adorable. And 
then we finally get to see Vagar, yes. and she's huge, and she is ugly yes. in the best way possible. Uh, to be honest, the CGI in the scene where she was flying with the windy boy wasn't all that great, but overall, CGI mishness aside, I'm super pleased with how Vagar looked. Windy boy made his return. Um, I do have to say that Dean, my partner, was like, I don't like that dragon. I don't like how it looks. Why is its neck so long? I hate it. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. That's Caraxes. And Amond, after they present him with the pink dread, who is just a pig in a bullshit faux dragon costume, uh, Amond goes down into the bowels of the dragon pit. And he stumbles across a fully grown dragon. It looks young-ish, but it's definitely not, it's definitely not juvenile. Like, this is a full-grown dragon. And I'm still trying to figure out who the fuck, like, what the fuck dragon it could be. Because there's very few options. It could be Silverwing, which was Good Queen Allison's dragon. But I highly doubt it based on the coloring. It looked much darker. And I... I tried watching the episode both on my TV and my computer and like changing the brightness on my computer screen to see if I could figure it out. No, but I don't think it's Silverwing because Silverwing was, you know, silverish. Uh, it could be Vermithor, which was King Jaehaerys' dragon. Again, questionable though, because Vermithor was actually supposed to be tolerant of most people. Like, not to say he would let them ride him, but he wouldn't necessarily immediately go to like, I'm going to burn you to death. So my guess, my kind of narrowing it down guess is that it was Syrax, which is Rhaenyra's dragon, which would make thematic sense that mm -hmm. Aemon stumbles down into the dragon pit and Syrax is like, fuck you. So we got to see that dragon, whichever one it was. Also, honorable mention to the pink dread, <laughs> aka that poor pig that had to wear that costume. Hopefully yep. it didn't immediately get burnt alive by some dragon in the dragon pit. Probably it did, though. Also, honorable mention to the egg that Rhaenyra's older kids, Jace and Luke, brought for their new baby brother. Seriously, it was oh, so that cute. That was cute. That was it cute. Was yeah. cute. I like, really we like that. An, we brought an egg for our brother. We love our brother. We brought him an egg. To be honest, also, it puts into question the whole situation where which we'll get into in a minute where the uh, the boys play a prank on Eamon because he doesn't have a dragon yet because it seems like these brothers are very close. Whereas Aegon and Eamon, they don't care about each other. I'm pretty sure that Aegon thinks Eamon is a little bitch. <laughs> it's very cute that they went and found a, a dragon egg and brought it back immediately after their baby brother was born. So I've seen a meme over like, I think it's like the last week maybe two weeks where it showed like the different sizes of the dragons and it had like drogon for like this is how drogon sizes but then all the dragons from this series with like valerian on the top and like just like how they would look if they were next to each other and like vagar i was so impressed and like i know we have our issues with cgi i try to let myself like suspend the i do it with star wars too i have to let myself like suspend the disbelief and just enjoy the ride and enjoy it and I love seeing her get on screen. So I have thoughts on this. The fact that you're seeing so many dragons, I think is really cool. And I think that it's cool that like you're seeing all these different things, right? But there's another part of me that's like, doesn't like it, right? And the reason I don't is because like the same thing with like 
I guess the other way I can kind of like use something else that kind of bothered me was with uh, was with Star Trek, right? I was always a big fan of it. Huge, right? Every time there was like a ship battle scene, it was something that was suspenseful, intense, and kind of rare. So when it happened, it was like a big deal. And then when they started doing all these wars and there was explosions all the time, it was almost like the cat was out of the bag at this point. Nothing else is going to like excite me, right? So the fact that I see like dragons everywhere now, it's like, because like back in the day when... The mother of dragons cracked those eggs and those dragons came out and then they just got older and they started just pouncing and like going crazy like that was the first time i saw anything like that so it was like holy shit like these things are fucking crazy and then now it's like oh no man everyone's got a fucking dragon you know shit i got mine in the trunk right now you know like everybody's got one so it's almost like the uh it's like the the man behind the curtain thing you know it's just kind of like oh here it's just everyone's got one so it's and when everyone has one there's there's nothing really special about it anymore you know so but again i'll put that on the on the lower side of the scale than actually getting like i do like getting to see them and i like getting to see the different types of them and what their roles are and all this stuff and just how they interact so i do appreciate that more the other the other side of of my thoughts is more just kind of nitpicky you know where it's like well because the thing is that I think I feel like the show is doing such a good job with saying a lot with so little that the fact that they have all these dragons and that they're doing all this stuff doesn't take away from like like the context of what they're trying to do. Where I'm like, okay, you know what? So this is where it actually works. It's not like we're it's not like they're trying to like wow us with all the dragons. Like, hey, look at all these dragons. Don't you love this show? Like, like they're not doing that, you know? So the fact that there's so many dragons is kind of like balanced out for me to where I'm like you know what? Like, it's okay because of what they're doing with the rest of the show, you know? So yeah. I'm kind of okay with it. And the dragon that was in the, in the cavern, I don't know what dragon that was, but I can tell you one thing. That's his dragon. That's it. I saw him go down there, and I was like, oh, okay. This is foreshadowing a little bit. That's going to be your dragon, isn't it? Hot take number four. Harwin Strong wins Best Baby Daddy of the Year. It's an award we're giving now. <laughs> This hot take isn't just all about Harwin. It's about several things. I like that they didn't show anything specific between him and Rhaenyra. I do think there's a little bit missed in that the only two times we saw them together was when Rhaenyra was out with Damon and Harwin was the City Watch person who stopped her. And was like, all right, go have your fun. Just be careful next time. And then in the last episode, he was the one that rushed out into the crowd to pull her away from the drama. But I still do like that they didn't show anything specific between, between him and Rhaenyra. Like, we didn't have to have some sex scene or whatever. But we did see that they clearly care about each other and have affection for each other. And we didn't need, like, a sex scene to show that. And then he's just hanging out with his kids all the time, even though he can't actually claim them. He wants to hold the new baby, hard eyes. And he sticks up for Jace specifically when fucking Sir Cole of House Slaw was uh, being the absolute worst. And then he's like, RIP, gone too soon as well. Oh, I loved him. Really loved him. On the gone too soon as well i'm sure that goes back to last episode and that freaking awesome lady of the veil because she was 
I needed more of her and then yes. I lost her and I'm very upset about that. Regardless, same situation here. Like I really wanted to see more of his story, but I also kind of knew like even without reading Fire and Blood, I'm that one who will still pop over to like the wikis and okay, oh yeah, that's who that person is, blah, 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 because I used to do it while watching and reading through both books all the books and stuff for Game of Thrones. So I thought he was great. And I really hate that sometimes I want them to stray away from the from the story and then they don't. And then it's like, God damn it. Okay, so I have thoughts on this one. Again, here's how the show does it, right? They take these characters, like the Lady in the Veil, where they show her for five minutes. And you know everything you need to know about that character in that very short scene. Great like that's just good writing, you know, and the, his character, they, I already knew, okay, this guy's the dad. I can tell the way he was playing with the other kids, training them and like doing all this kind of stuff, everything I needed to know about that character. And then literally like smoke, he's just there and then just gone. And I'm like, look, the guy writing this or the girl or whoever's writing this show like knows what they're doing with this. And a matter of fact, I'm almost kind of getting the feeling now that when I understand a character within two minutes on this show, I know the next scene they're going away. It's like, I already know. It's like when I was watching game of Thrones, right? It's like they always set up who was going to get killed drastically just because of how like bad they were towards the end. You know, when they had like Ramsey and all these people, I'm like, oh, well, let me guess. I'm willing to bet his dogs are going to eat him. And it's like, oh, look, that happened. That writing was not as good as I feel like what this writing is doing where it's like. But it is it is almost a little bit predictable, but they do it so well where I need to know about these characters was literally just just from the way that they're that they're presenting themselves and everything. I love the fact that Rhaenyra didn't have to say, hey, do you remember when we had at least sex four times and had all these children? No, like you just knew, right? You just saw the way they looked at each other. Like, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. He's the dad. It was awesome. Good writing, man. That's all I'm going to say. Good writing. 10 out of 10 Targ eyebrows. Yeah. Yep. 10 out of 10 Targ eyebrows for Harwin Strong. Good daddy. And speaking of him being a good daddy, there's a lot of kids happening in this episode. And this combines the Here Be Dragons and Harwin Strong being baby daddy of the year because there are a lot of dragons in the Targaryen children's sons too. And that is hot take number five. Now, to me, it was very interesting that in the dragon pit, it seemed as if Aegon, Jace, and Luke were getting along as they picked on Aemond. I'm not saying it's good or proper, but it seemed like these three were friends and they were picking on the annoying kid who doesn't have a dragon of his own like luke i think doesn't either maybe or if he does we don't see it at this point but then in the yard later which is after Aegon had his conversation with allison Aegon and jace were going at it and was that merely because of Aegon's conversation with allison but also probably not. Like it was probably also Sir Cole of House Law egging on their fight as well. It was a little bit of an abrupt change to me, to be honest, that Aegon was playing pranks with them in one scene. And then like 10, 15, 20 minutes later, he's uh, going at it with Jace. I do think it's a combination of his conversation with Allison and Kristen Cole just 
being a total asshole, like red pillar piece of shit. She didn't want me. So, but beyond that, like kind of abrupt change, they definitely showed that that's going to be an issue because they're already fighting and it doesn't matter that Rhaenyra took her kids away from there. Probably like it's still going to be now Aegon believes that he is the successor. I guess the writing for that whole scenario is a little bit off to me. I also think they had a very interesting take on Helena in Fire and Blood. She's described as a really sweet kid. She's a little uh, heavier set. How dare eye roll and not as attractive. Again, how dare eye roll as most Targaryens would be. And that's kind of like the bad things that are said about her, but she's said to be like a really sweet person. They know from the start, she's going to be a good mom, which is weird because I think they're saying this about her when she's like 12 or something. But I, it was an interesting take on Helena that she's super into creepy crawlers. It's like if this girl lived in the 90s, she would be me and have a creeper crawler oven. <laughs> Fuck the easy big man. Give me my creepy crawler oven. And that's <laughs> that's how I see Helena. All of these kids, because God, there's so fucking many of them now. They're friends and then they're not friends. And then there's Helena, who apparently they're going to try to marry to Jace. Probably not based on Allison's reaction over her dead body. Lots going on there. The thing I took away from the thing in the yard was that because Viserys was sitting up there and Lionel was up on the thing too with him, I think Aegon was like doing the teenage boy thing of like trying to show off too. And maybe, maybe that conversation with his mom, like maybe that had a part to play in it. But I really think he was like, because it reminded me of like the um, scenes in the yard at like Winterfell when it was like John and 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 all those and Rob and all those guys trying to oh, show off. Friendly. Yeah. <laughs> so like and then of course it doesn't help when you've got like an adult like Kristen who's like, oh just keep beating on the smaller kid, blah 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 blah. Cause he's already like feeling like his ego might be bruised. So now he's gonna take it out on the on the other kid. What an asshole. God yeah. damn. We just go sure. from the hot guy people were interested in to being like a total asshole. Sounds like, you know, like the every all of our dating lives here as we go. <laughs> as for the other kids, tell like they're already trying to move their pieces and get everybody into the chessboard and playing the Game of Thrones. I was really disappointed that like I I was surprised to see that they got along so well, the other kids, and then all of a sudden, like that one conversation, that one thing in the yard is what's going to drive them apart when like they've all grown up together. That seems just so, so weird. And like thinking about the comparison to like John and Rob, who were still really close, even though there was so much like animosity, even at Winterfell. So I was thinking about those kind of things going into play as well. Yeah. Kristen is, is a big asshole. I kind of like had like some admiration for him when he would just like confessed and he was just willing to like accept his fate. And then when when he went to go like kill himself, I'm like, bro, you should have you should have just went ahead and finished, you know, like just just done it. You know, like you're just kind of an asshole. Like, I don't really have any respect for you. And like 
the way they were with these kids. And look, kids are going to be kids, right? Like they're going to do that. They're going to try to impress and like whatever. We all know who the problem child is going to fucking be at this point, you know, <laughs> with these kids. So it's like, okay, look, you know, maybe he's the one who needs a little more guidance. And yeah, and if I was walking into that like shit show and I saw all these kids, I'd be like, man, you kids are all going to sleep with each other, marry each other. Like this is like a fucking mess. I'm going back to the wall. Like I'm just, I don't want anything to do with this whatever is gonna happen here you know <laughs> like i'm done i am curious as somebody who hasn't read the books who do you think is the most problematic child though aegon okay. so far okay yeah aegon okay. now now I, I i i'm well aware that i could be wrong about that they I, I know these writers are good that i'm just saying that like they could be subverting like my expectations right now where they're, where they're well, guiding me somewhere. and i think the reason i was questioning that is because not jason luke right? They're fine. And Joffrey yeah. is a little baby and Helena yeah. just wants to cook up some creepy crawlers in her machine, right? So for me, it's like, was it Aegon because he's jerking off in the window or was it Aemond because they all actually actively hate him? Even his own older brother is like, ugh, this kid. Until his mom is like, be nice to your brother. And he also doesn't have a dry. So, so that that was the only reason I was curious. It, I it feel was... like, no, I feel like it's going to be one of those two, right? Because the one who doesn't have a dragon. So in that scene, I'm like, okay, Eamon is going to be the one who is damaged and brutalized. This dragon down there, who will be his dragon at some point, maybe. Like, he's going to take it and then he's just going to wreak fucking havoc, right? Because like any kid that gets picked on consistently you know like they're just gonna fucking go each ape shit and just start fucking so it could be that we're like okay Aegon is clearly a character that is almost coming off like a Damon character so they're kind of like leading you to believe like oh look he's just like Damon and Damon's a problem while in the background they're just doing a sleight of hand is what they're doing and they're like wait a minute you know and then they're gonna bring one of these up because the other two, two kids whatever they're like fine they're just normal like whatever the heck but they definitely have between these two so i feel like it's going to be one of those as the problem child i feel like with Aegon, i feel like that's what where the show is trying to direct me and from them trying to direct me to do that i'm like no no no. your writers are, are smart on this show so it may be this other kid and maybe maybe Aegon is going to be good right like maybe he'll be like wait a minute we can't do crazy shit like this you know so well, i mean and also to be fair i was picked on a fuck ton as a kid me being picked on and made fun of a whole shit ton when I was a kid made me into somebody who is far more accepting and welcoming of a person than I think I would have been otherwise. So it could go either way with Aemond, right? But with yeah. Aegon, yes, it, it is kind of, Jesus Christ, dude. I think the thing that concerns me is like, is that the way you need to get off? Like you have to, you have to be in an open window, like risking your life. What if you reach climax and fall out the window? Like that is, I that's just, not the way to go. It's, it's like extreme voyeurism. Like, I don't know. Yeah. First I thought like when they were panning in the window, I was like, is this a Damon scene? But then like mm -hmm. they spanned up and I went, oh no, this isn't Damon. Like who is this? <laughs> it's a child. Yeah. Aegon, when, when you're 55, you can do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're at that age where there's no excitement anymore. But, like, to do this out of the starting gates, bro. Like, <laughs> like, you, like you're messing it up for yourself. You know, man? Like, don't. Well, and their fight in the courtyard where uh, Sir Cole of Houselaw is... <sighs> 
just so clearly favoring Allison's children and egging them into having this one-on-one with each other, Aegon, who is much older, bigger, etc., and Jace. And Jace holds his own for a bit, but then he hasn't been trained as well, clearly, because Kristen Cole is a piece of shit. Yep. And... Is supposed to be training all of them, but isn't. And Jace gets kind of knocked down, and Kristen is basically like, finish him. And then Harwin comes in and saves the day, but he puts hands on Aegon, and Aegon's like, oh my god, I'm the I'm the blood of the king. How dare you touch me? And Kristen comes in also just kind of talking shit, bringing up the parentage of these kids. Like you, you wouldn't do this if it was just a kid. Like it's that you do it for a cousin or a, or a nephew or maybe a son. And that is what leads to Lionel is like, you disgrace the family name by laying hands on the prince and by fighting a member of the King's guard. And then Lionel, he wants to give up his position as hand of the King because his son disgraced the family name. And Viserys is like, no, 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 you can't just leave being hand of the King. You're still my hand. I don't care what your son did, whatever. Lionel also won't tell him the exact reasons why he feels this way. And so Viserys is like, no, 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 you're not not Hand of the King. But yeah, sure, you can take your son back to Hall to like claim his seat, whatever. And Viserys agreeing to that uh, leads into, oh, the curse of Hall. So in Fire and Blood, there's a huge fire at Hall, And let's say that it's talked about as if it was a mistake, but there's quite a few people who are sure that it was on purpose. And now we have at least showverse confirmation that Laris, the younger son, hired the prisoners who did the deed, aka burning hair and all and killing Lionel and Hiram Strong. So this is this hot take number six is a lot about Laris, I guess, but also a little about the fact that what happened in the yard, that fight directly led to Lionel bringing his son back to Hall to take over his seat or whatever. And because they were both there, Laris, the, I guess, really the little finger of this mm-hmm. season. All those vibes. Yeah, was able to rid himself of his older brother and therefore make him heir of Hall. And also, I mean, in a way, he unwittingly helped Renera a little bit there in that now there is no actual father. Like, there's no way to prove any sort mm-hmm. of parentage by Harwin admitting something. But his real goal was apparently to get rid of his father in his words that was his real goal we all know that he was also trying to get rid of his brother so that he could then be lord of Hall. but he got rid of his father because allison suggested it 
to him. And I'm saying suggested in that way because it's nonsense. Obviously, Allison did not want this. I immediately got little finger vibes off Alaris when he first popped up. I was like, ooh, this is the dude. I want to know what got him to that point. What made him so hateful against his dad and his brother other than being like second son in the book his loyalties and goals were always in question let's say he is not necessarily absolutely loyal to allison and her lineage i think a lot of it probably had to do that he was the younger son he Mm -hmm. was deformed and so people didn't give him the attention or whatever that he felt that he deserved and he was very manipulative he didn't really have any friends so as much as it seems like he's aligned with allison and her children it could have mostly just been fuck you bro i want harrenhal it i think what the show is telling us at this point is he will do literally anything to advance his position and him making sure his father specifically is dead is very important for Allison because she straight up told him if my father was in and he was like, yeah, but he wouldn't be impartial. And she says, but he would be partial to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's the queen, and he knows that there is a very good chance, as we all know, honestly, based on Westerosi patriarchy, that Aegon, her son, is going to be put forward as an heir. No matter what happens to Viserys, no matter what Viserys has said, no matter what Rhaenyra has done, even if Rhaenyra had had true-born sons with her husband, Laenor, I don't think that would have mattered. The Westerosi patriarchy was always going to needle their way in as being behind Aegon II. Not all of them, but it's going to happen. I think that's something that they have very much driven home in this season, every single episode. So for Lyris, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure that my dad is dead. So that you, Allison, can have your dad, good old Otto, back. And now it's got this fight between, like, good old Gossip Otto and good old... I don't even know if I call him Gossip Laris. There's no alliteration there, so I need to come up with a better name for Laris. But <laughs> good old Little Finger Laris over here. And how often do they do these dinners where she was just waiting for her spread of food, was already eating, drinking his wine, hanging out like he lives there? Yep. Yep. (laughs) They're BFFs, man. I'll give Allison this. She doesn't really have many friends. I mean, she lost Rhaenyra as a friend. And Kristen Cole is her bodyguard, basically. And her husband is a literal rotting corpse not that i think there's any sort of attraction or anything untoward going on with her and laris but i absolutely think it's like this is the guy i'm friends with yeah i think for me i'm just waiting for laris to die just like i did for uh littlefinger the entire time on that show every time he popped up i was like this guy's just a snake and i can't wait to watch him die 
you know, he was one of those people that I was just like, he's going to die one day on this show and uh, I'm going to be there to see it, you know? So it was a rewarding scene when he got killed, you know? So I'm just kind of hoping for that same uh, replay for me on this one. So I'm definitely vested in his character, but really just vested in his death. So <laughs> I hate to say this, but even show Littlefinger seemed to have more connections and was smarter about how he went about things. And I cannot believe I'm saying this because show Littlefinger compared to book Littlefinger, just FYI for somebody who hasn't read the books, book Littlefinger was always working in the shadows, right? Now he did put that dagger to Ned Stark's throat in a Game of Thrones, but he was way less obvious like, he wasn't going around talking to Varys about his, like, nefarious plans. <laughs> so, to me, I feel like... It, well, and also, I guess, it, in, in Fire and Blood, Lyris is the same way. He's he's a shadow character, right? He's there, and he causes problems, but there's no confirmation that he actually did anything. So, for him in the showverse to be the person who very obviously hired these prisoners, cut out their tongues so that they couldn't talk about what they were about to do. Because mm -hmm. I, I, we're, I guess, supposed to assume that they can't read or write. And then they go to Harrenhal and burn Harrenhal and kill a fuck ton of... Well, I guess we didn't really see any people dead, but we have to assume people died because they were like burned horses. Ugh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ugh. Speaking of burning things alive, hot take number seven. Lena deserved better. Yep. Seriously. Yes, she did. Yep. She deserved better than Damon. She deserved better than dying so young and due to childbirth at that. Yep. I will say the one of the funny things after the earlier childbirth scene where Rhaenyra actually gives birth to the baby and everything is good and healthy and despite her travails after that, you know, everything is fine. Dean was like, why is there so much childbirth in this episode? And I was like, because that's where they are in their lives. Honestly, it's like my Facebook newsfeed circa 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it's all your yeah. friends just giving birth. But at least she got to go out somewhat on her own terms. Everything about that scene was so sad and awful and sad, though. Vagar eventually obeyed, but was confused and maybe didn't want to do the thing at first. And I'm just crying and dragon. I did see a meme where it was Lena and like a cat and it was like Jakaris. And then the cat's crying, very big teary eyes. Aww. And then it's Lena and Jakaris <laughs> and the cat is crying fire. And I was just like, mm. yes, because dragons are cats, not dogs. Let's be very yes. clear. Or horses. Yeah. What I would like to hear is, Gell's thoughts on Damon's reaction when they said they could cut the baby out of her because he asked, well, would it kill her? And they said yes. And he actually didn't seem to be okay with that. And I gotta be honest, I feel like Damon is a lot of things, but I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I don't know. I was actually curious on, for, for one on Damon, I was I wasn't necessarily unsurprised to see him be like that because it seemed like they actually had a pretty good rapport. Even if maybe they weren't in love with each other, they definitely cared about each other. It didn't seem like they hid anything from each other. 
I'm trying to rem if, remember if there was ever a time, whether in Game of Thrones or I don't think it happened here, where why are they immediately going to C-section and not trying to like spin a baby around from breach if they're not coming out? I watched too much Call to the Midwife, or Call the Midwife, where they, <laughs> they either spin them around or they birth them feet first or they do the whole thing. But the maesters don't know any of this. Like, is it just because they're dudes? Like, do they need some women in the order? Is is this what's happening? Like, they don't have ultrasound, yeah. right? So they only knew the baby was breech when it was already so long into the birth, and that's understandable. So call call the midwife takes place around 1950s 1960s and like most of these there's like no ultrasound like available at that point and they're still turning the babies or birthing them like obviously fantasy versus reality and whatnot yeah the scientist in me is like you guys like know that these things are possible and that it has happened so so I actually wasn't surprised about him not wanting her to die like in comparison to Viserys you would think that. Viserys would be the one that would be like, let's save my wife. And then you would think Damon would be the, the crueler one on that. But it was literally the complete opposite. Good writing. And then, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then his reaction where like he was trying to get out to where uh, Lena was going to Vagar. You could tell he was like, I'm too late. I got there too late seemed to me like he was trying to stop her from doing what he knew she was going to do. I did also hear that there was a cut scene where he's like comforting his daughters, but all we got was like them standing on the parapets and he's like, eh, I don't know what to do with you two. <laughs> I really think that there's something very beautiful in like, you know, allowing your significant other to have a glorious death in their own terms, as opposed to like, something else and i i do love the fact that they really made him the opposite of, of viserys in the sense to where it was like him having an heir is not important damon is just chaos mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying he's just straight up chaos and he's like you know what like the way i talk it he's like no fuck whatever i'll make another fucking heir like i don't fucking care right like he but, might be evil chaotic but he's still chaotic he's still chaotic exactly but he's just like no like have your fucking death you know like die how you want or whatever i don't think he wanted her to die either but he definitely didn't want her to, to suffer by getting cut open and not to like count that against viserys i think viserys was trying to do the noble thing and produce the air like he is supposed to do he was like moved by his duty of like oh i need to produce an air so it's very important that even though this is going to happen i mean it has to happen but like Honestly, if that was my girl on that on that bed and they asked me, you're going to cut her open? I'm like, look, no, I'd rather them both die together and then die in suffering and pain like that. So this is a part with like Damon, like I, I very reluctantly connected with him on this to where I was like, you know what, dude? Yeah. Yeah. Let her have her own death. And, and that's it. And yeah, the dragon having to breathe fire. I mean, that sucks. You know, that dragon did not was not into that. And it was sad. Like, I imagine me turning over to my big fat kitten and being like, look, you, you got to kill me now. Like, all those times you tried to bite me, you need to do it for real now. You know? <laughs> so that was a really cool scene, though. And I, and I really did like it. And, and just the aspect of Damon not getting the C-section, because that's what I would have expected from him to where it's like, oh, yeah, I don't care about, you know, the woman's disposable. I just want the baby. Again, the writing just surprised me where i was like wow this is good in fire and blood lena 
just simply dies in childbirth, gives birth to a stillborn son and dies in childbirth. So this was, honestly, it was a relief that that wasn't what they did with her in the show that she wanted to die as a dragon rider. And also again, that everything with Vagar and she's like, like over and over again. And fear is just like, but mom, why? Well, they're the thing that needs to be mentioned too, is that they, the Targaryens have such a bond with their dragons too. Mm -hmm. So we saw it with Drogon and Daenerys and the connections that they have to their dragons so where like Vagar is being a dragon, she can probably smell all the blood. She can smell what's happening. She can smell that death is on, she's Imminent. on the doorstep. It's coming, mm-hmm. but she still finally obeys and listens. And, but that gives, that leaves the doorway for someone else to bond with her. It wasn't what I was expecting. I, I, I guess for me, I didn't expect it to happen in this episode that Lena would be in the process of giving birth and die. But because it did and the way it happened, kudos to the writers because that was yeah. way more impactful than a simple her just giving birth to a stillborn and dying in birth would have mm-hmm. been. And still, again, we're, we come full circle to what happened in episode one where they are trying so hard to show the dangers of childbirth, particularly in the world that we are living in, the country that we are living in right now. Mm -hmm. Kudos, kudos. I mean, granted, we don't have dragons to uh, Dracarys us to death (laughs) if we get to that point. But everything about the childbirth scenes in this episode was, again, just A++. Yeah. I have zero complaints. Definitely. Yeah, it's all done really well and it's all very, very believable, you know? And I absolutely love it. And I do like the fact that they did Lena like this and not just like dying with like a stillborn child. I think that would have maybe been a little a little bit much, you know, because people actually experience that in real life, you know? So I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it might be a, a bit much for some people, but I think it did great. And then with the dynamic with like Damon in there, it's like they're really writing this guy as an extremely dynamic character. This is like the kind of writing that literally almost killed me mentally since like when I was watching like Battlestar Galactica. You know, when I watched Battlestar Galactica, it was that kind of writing. We are all PSG fans in here. So it's like it was like that because that show like I lived for. Like I didn't care what happened to me after the show ended. I just needed to watch the entire thing first. Mm-hmm. And the writing was so dynamic and what was going on with these characters and the way they changed and you're just like, "Oh my god, awesome." So this scene with like Damon and he's like, "No, you know, not going to cut her open and just let her have her own death." Like there was something that's like, "You know what, dude? Like you're chaotic, but tonight we're like on the same side." You know, like I I get that. It's just good writing, man. It's just good fucking writing, dude. Yeah. I still think Lena deserved better than she deserves Damon. So much better. She absolutely deserved better. I 100% agree with that. But if any, if if she was gonna go, she went. I mean, you yeah. got to look at it. She went to Dragon Rider's death. You know, look. I think in that world, there's not much more for someone like her like to ask for. You know, like I think that's that was good for her. It sucks, but it was good. So I think it's time for our favorites roundup. But number one is 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 that 
that death scene and with and 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 with Damon, you know, and the fact that it was just like the opposite of what Viserys did, you know, because I've always liked Viserys like from the beginning, and I still do, you know, because I'm just like, look, okay, he's he's he is a noble guy. He tries he's, so he, hard. He tries really mm. hard, and, and I feel like even with with you know his wife dying, like he was just trying to do the noble thing where it's like, no, I need to produce an heir, blah, 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 like whatever, like in the end. But, but I feel like he, he definitely allows his duty to kind of go more. And, and the fact that he was still backing up Rhaenyra as the actual heir to the throne, right? Like he wasn't backing down from it. He wasn't doing like what any of these other people would have done, you know? So it's like, look, he's, he's like a noble guy, you know, like, is he the, is he the smartest? No. You know, like, does he probably need to be on the throne? No. But it, at least he's like fucking trying. I don't know. It was like that opposite there, and I just felt like it was. It was just. It was fucking great. And I did like the uh, uh, scene with like the kids training and stuff like that, and Sir Cole showing himself to be a complete asshole. So that whole scene there, and then uh, another one is when they introduced the uh, baby daddy, and literally within the first two minutes, I already knew who he was and that he was a good person. I liked. Lena's death scene, of course, but I also appreciated how much they humanized Damon there because I, I, I don't know if I disagree on that. Well, she obviously deserved better, but I think that he seemed like he was pretty even keel when we saw him before this and we know how cruel this universe can get. So I think of who she could have had compared to who she did get, I think it worked out in her favor. Vagar. All the way around, it's going to just still go into that, just seeing her finally on screen. Like the cute little, like, pug or French bulldog at the, with the scraggly teeth. Gosh, for me, I think it's got to be Rhaenyra marching across the Red Keep straight after giving birth. As somebody who has never had a kid, never wanted to have a kid, never wants to have a kid, God help me, no, please, never. I respected so much about what the show did in those scenes and also just bow to you, my queen, Rhaenyra, for doing that, for fighting through that pain and discomfort isn't even the word. As somebody who's never gone through it, I'm not like, I'm not stupid. I know this is beyond discomfort. This is pain. This is earth shattering like, pain. It's like disgusting too, right? I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah. Everybody says birth is beautiful, but it's also fucking disgusting. Everything she did and the way they portrayed that. How the hell could she have done that? But then it's not the first time somebody has. I mean, shit, there was there was actually a meme I saw earlier today where Kate Middleton had to, and, and listen, I don't get me started on the English monarchy and how disgusting it is, but mm-hmm. Kate Middleton had to like bring one of their kids out, or maybe all of them out like hours after she had given birth. Yes. Ready for pictures with a babe in arms. It's something that I guess still happens disgustingly today. So... Kudos. Kudos to Rhaenyra for going through that. Kudos to the show for showing how absolutely disgusting it yeah. would be. Yep. As we close out this episode, we just want to give a shout out to our Heroes Cheer patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Hot Tea Takes. Manny and I will be back next week with a new guest to cover House of the Dragon's seventh episode, Driftmark. 
Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.